Welcome. You are listening to Bookalicious, not just any book podcast. I'm Paul Jarrett, together with Gwyn, Lara and Holly. Join us on a journey exploring the world of books and words. Be inspired. Get new reading ideas, sometimes serious, but always fun. Bookalicious is a podcast to open your mind. Welcome to another episode of Bookalicious. I, I suspect that we're almost we're almost a year old. I, we're nearly a year old. I think there'll be time for celebrations in in the next episode. But uh, for now, I've managed to persuade Gwyn, who said she, you don't really like poetry, but you're kind of joining us for the ride without talking about poetry, which is very clever of you. Yeah, so I thought I'd come along for the first bit and talk about some books and then I'll run out the door as soon as you start going on about poetry. I, I, I couldn't say I dislike it, but it's it's not my preferred uh, genre. So, no, I know, I get that. But you, you and I have read poetry over the years, haven't we? Um, you mm. know, out loud. Uh, yes, I, the, the Christmas uh, episode or the Christmas show comes to mind. It's good for a laugh, isn't it? You yes. know, um, I always think it, it, it works better when, when you're either reading it or hearing it read rather than sitting on on the page um anyway we'll be coming on later on in the show so this is poetry emotion episode two and uh we've got peter reed who both gwyn and i know very well um and peter is it's unfair to call peter just a poet he's um kind of all-round playwright author of books poet performer you know hard to categorize but uh, so peter's coming up later in the show and then uh, after we've heard from peter we're going to do what we did last time uh, and going to include lara this time who couldn't come who is actually a poet and uh, performs her own poetry so give her an opportunity to share some of her favorite um, poems and poets with us um, and this beat's going to be fun. But uh, before we do all of that, Gwyn and I are going to ramble around some of the things we're reading or hoping to read. Um, and Gwyn, I think you've um, done a bold thing and joined a book group down there, haven't you? I have, yes. Uh, based in Newport now. It's very strange not to be in Wrexham with everything else going on there at the moment. But I thought, well, I need to start getting to know people now that we can all leave the house and go and talk to people. So I've joined a book group. It's monthly on a Saturday morning. And I've been to one meeting so far. Um, I read a book prior to that meeting, and I've recently just finished reading the book for the next meeting, which is um, uh, coming up very soon. Uh, the one that I, well, the one that I read first time for the first meeting was called The Paris Library by Janet Skeslian Charles. Ooh. I think I'm remembering that correctly. And it's about the American Library in Paris during the Second World War. Um, when Paris was occupied by the Nazis. So that was that was a really nice book, actually, being a former librarian myself. Uh, I found it really is that, interesting. Is that non-fiction, Gwen? No, no, it's, it's a novel, but based on okay. uh, real people and actual happenings. So it's like a novelization of things that actually happened. And some of the characters 
I'm not sure if she's given them fictionalized names, but she, the, the author certainly, she spent a long time, she spent some years actually working there and researching what happened and correspondence between some of the characters. So some of the correspondence and letters and things that appear in the novel were actual letters from, from the time. Yeah. So it's really fascinating. I would really recommend that. I mean, as a librarian myself, I knew nothing about the American Library in Paris, except possibly having heard of it. But I, really? I didn't know anything about what they did during the Second World War. So when, for example, their Jewish customers were banned from visiting the library, they sneakily took books out and delivered them to their homes. Um, well, as long as they were able to do that. So they really made a real effort to keep the library services open and accessible to everybody who might need it, uh, which is what librarians do, really, isn't it? Well, uh, really interesting. I'm going to talk about Ukraine in, in, in a bit, but um, I, I saw a thing from um, SILIP, the, basically the, the library association in this country, which reported that the Ukrainian Library Association had tweeted saying, um, we're really, uh, really sorry that we uh, have to postpone this year's conference, but we will be back as soon as we've repelled the invader. I think I saw that. Yeah. Yes, that's a quality librarian thing, isn't it? it you is. know. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, oh well, that's that's good. So, how does your book group um, choose its? its books is you sort of put it in in a hat and pull it out or no well they they have um a rotor for want of a better word yeah uh, so each member of the group gets allocated a month when they pick what's going to be read for the next month wow and so they, i think they anything. normally sorry could be anything yes yeah it could be i mean the one that i've just read for for the next meeting is called the rumor by leslie cara and it's a thriller um it's not the sort of thing I would normally pick up, but it was still, you know, it, was, it, it gripped me and I read it in two settings because I wanted to know what happened. But I think as a new person, they normally like to give the new person the next choice, but I can't make the meeting they'd set me up for, so I'm picking them after that. So I've, I've had to think about oh, what I'm going to recommend uh, in a month's time. Cool. But I think, yeah, they just work their way through all the members of the group. And then everybody gets to have a turn, um, which is it's quite it's it's really interesting. When I was at the meeting, they some of them had like little notebooks and records of everything that they read in previous meetings. And this is going back a few years now. So <laughs> I thought, well, I better let them know what I'm thinking of in case they've already read it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, no, it sounds great. I, I'm really interested in book groups and and how they operate. I mean, I've I've been a member of them a few over the years and they're all slightly different i mean the one that's still going on in wrexham which you you kind of came in on the early days of that one yeah. is still going and it developed a life as of its own really i and you know we we, we sort of started pulling things out of a hat and, and fairly randomly but um people are sort of saying well we could read that or let's look at that and it's it's kind of building a life of its own i mean mm. we did um, well, I got them all to read um, Thomas Hardy's uh, biography by uh, Claire Tomlin, mm -hmm. and um, which, which was interesting and too long. I broke my own rules about the book group. It was over, nearly over 400 pages, which is never, never a good move. But 
you know, it was it was good. It, it, you know, we had an hour of discussion about how possibly we wouldn't ever have liked to meet Thomas Hardy and how he was a miserable old bloke. Um, but actually, we will still read and love his books and his poetry and whatever, you know. Um, and we're off to read Michelle Paver's Dark Matter next. Mm. Is, um, yeah. I have read that before. Um, very short, reasonably short and quite scary. Actually, no. I was really hoping that I'd be able to attend that one via Zoom because I, you the can. book I want to suggest for my book group is uh, Wakenhurst by Michelle Paver because oh, nice. I came across it when I was doing my Masters and I thought it sounded interesting. Uh, but sadly, bank, the next Bank Street meeting clashes with my collage class, so I won't oh. be able to attend even via Zoom. You'll but, have to send uh, us a recorded message, you know, a bit, like, know. A bit like the Queen does with COVID. You know? <laughs> Yeah, oh, that's. I'm really glad you've done that because it, it it does make you read books that you probably never would have looked yeah, at. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we read Pinocchio a couple of um, books ago. I I would never have picked Pinocchio up, mm. and actually, how fascinating, fascinating. I will never watch the film again in the same way. And um, yeah, yeah, it's, it's 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 really really interesting. I mean, of course, the other thing that stemmed out of our book group is the Middlemarch Readathon, which uh, mm. anyone that's listening to this probably you're getting near the end of Middlemarch, or you finished it, or you stopped somewhere. <laughs> but it, um, it some some of the book group are very committed to to it, and um, uh, we've got a, an event coming up in Wrexham Carnival of Words which this year is going to be in person. So you have to live near Wrexham in order to come and enjoy the event, and um, uh, which is very odd. Doesn't feel doesn't feel quite right yet that we're getting out there and actually, but it looks like we really are going to have physical events in front of audiences. Um, so we've got the uh, final get together around Middlemarch. And I'm already, in, you know, it's almost like I've been living in this provincial town somewhere in the in the Midlands with George Eliot, um, sort of the the puppet mistress of all these characters coming in and out, you know, and they're all a bit. There isn't anyone that's really particularly likable. She's got a, no, she's got a great way with her, you know. You you, you think, you know, well, I'm gunning for someone one minute, and then actually they do something. You think. Okay, and then you you know you, you go down all these little rabbit holes. Um, it's it's, it's mm -hmm. interesting, but uh, maybe we need to do a whole podcast episode to, to get Middlemarch out of our systems. Well, I think certainly when you finish the readathon, um, for any readers who aren't uh, any listeners who aren't aware, you're also blogging about it on the Bookalicious website. Oh, yes, I am. So when that's all out of your system, then yeah, I, I think you should just go for it and just spend the whole episode <laughs> talking about it. Yeah, it's been interesting blogging about it because it. I, I um, was determined not to make it an academic uh, critique of each each section, but um, and it tends to be a bit like uh, me doing a commentary on my, the latest episode of The Archers. You know, <laughs> oh, did you know? Oh, look what he did to him. No, it's very good. It, it brings it down to earth and it makes it feel accessible because yeah. um, I've obviously been reading them as I've been putting them up on the website. And it's, it's great. It really helps draw people in, I think, to what's yeah. going on. It's Because you might look at Middlemarch and think, oh, that's huge. I don't want to read that. But if if people just want to start out by reading your blog yeah. posts on the website, it might give yeah. them a sense of the story moving on. Um, so they might feel a bit less scared. to. Yeah, actually, that's, that's, 
That's very nice of you to say that, Gwyn, but it's actually, I think it's an incredibly accessible book mm. if you break it down, you know, yes. um, if you look at it as a, oh, that's eight or 900 pages and I haven't got the time. Well, once you get into it, you're living in that little world and I, I kind of look forward to creeping back into it. I've, I've got a bit behind the curve. You occasionally hit this this sort of fairly wordy Victorian bit, especially when they're arguing about um, which doctor should be the doctor of the hospital or which vicar should be appointed, and, you know, it gets a bit bogged down. And But then it'll go off into another bit. It's never... Um, it never stays. I'm so glad we, we, we decided to do it. So, uh, mm. yes, go and read my blog. Very good. Yeah. And and uh, Lara's blogged as well, isn't she? She set herself yes. a 100 book target for the year. Yes, on Goodreads. But she's also done some reviews that we've uh, we've posted the first dozen or so on, on the Bookylicious website. And she's going to add to that as she progresses through more of them. Oh, there you go. Look, you and I going on the radio years ago and look how it spun off all these things. And you just go oh, yeah. and have a look at bookalicious.com and you'll see what it's created. And it's all mm -hmm. good. It's all been it's a, it's been a ball, hasn't it? Um, yeah. So um, apart from your book group books, are you, are you um, I guess you probably haven't got much time, have you? Well, I finished the rumour very, very quickly um, as it happened. So I thought, right, well, I really must start reading something else and keep the momentum going. And I did get a pile of books for Christmas, which I barely dipped into. Um, so I've started reading another one of those. It's actually a collection of short stories. So it's a bit more easy to pick up and put down if I've only got a short amount of time. And some of them are mini stories or little snippets of things put together. It's called Help the Witch. And it's by Tom Cox, who I yes, knew previously as yes, yes. having written a lot of books about cats. He was the My Sad Cat guy on Twitter. Yes, yes. he's. he's <laughs> but he also writes a lot about yeah. nature. Um, he's, it's in that sort of vein. I mean, if you like Alan Garner, Robert McFarlane, all of those sort of authors who really love the landscape get to know the landscape in which they live or are even passing through and they look for the slight weirdness in it the, the quirks the way the landscape kind of owns owns itself if that isn't a strange way of putting things and we are you feel that we are only visitors within the land or on the land um, so there's very much that sort of element of um I don't even want to say supernatural. I know it's called Help the Witch, but it's not overtly about magic and supernatural and spells. It's um, a little bit of blurb I've got up on the screen here. The shadows beneath trees and behind doors, listening to the run of water and half heard voices. And that's exactly it. It's not overtly about anything witchy. Mm. But if you've gone out into a landscape, uh, maybe it's a bit dark, it's twilight, it's raining and there's nobody else out there and the trees are rustling. You get a sense that there's something else out there, even if it's just yeah. the nature surrounding you. So if that's your kind of thing, then Help the Witch by yeah, Tom Cox is something I find very accessible. My sort of thing, because um, um, so, so I'm going to I'm going to now move us to Ukraine. I, I'm. I was kind of thinking, well, shall we avoid the big elephant in the room? But actually, you know what? I'm finding reading a way of um, trying to not come to terms with things, but helping me understand 
why these things have kicked off in the way that they have and possibly even start to get a feel where they they may may or may not go um i'm a great believer in um history telling us quite a lot of things that we should already know but we don't actually choose to look so i've got um well i've actually got four books one of which i'm reading at the minute which is called borderland uh, by anna reed and it's a journey through the history of ukraine i'd forgotten i'd bought it uh, about uh, five or six years ago um it, she originally wrote it uh, the first half is in 1991 or shortly after the fall of the soviet union and um, she she's a correspondent knows ukraine quite well and then has fully updated it to about uh, i think she's sort of 2015 2016 post um russia going into the crimea and um it's utterly fascinating uh it's only about 200 pages or so uh but each chapter takes different areas of the ukraine and she she obviously knows the country really well and the history is is fascinating um I, I do recommend you go and take putin's original speech about uh why well he wouldn't call it an invasion he he considers ukraine to be russian but mm. actually when you read this you can see why the ukrainians think perhaps it isn't and that you, you, you can see you know i wouldn't necessarily take uh particular sides but it's it because it's complicated um but fascinating and you can see why the ukrainians are spirited people so that's uh, anna reed and borderland and then a little bit of fiction i think i might have mentioned this well you weren't here last uh, episode were you i think i mentioned this last time but andre um kirkhoff who is best known as the author of uh, death and the penguin which if you haven't, have you read Death and the Penguin, Gwyn? No, I'm trying to think if I've even heard of it. I feel like I must have done because that's quite an odd title. I think you would love Death and the Penguin. Um, it's uh, um, about basically a guy in... Um, uh, Andre uh, um, Kirkhoff is um, Ukrainian or born in Ukraine um, when it was the Soviet Union. And he... Um, yeah, Death and the Penguin was one of his early books, and it's this kind of weird comic magical realism of this guy mm. who's got a penguin in the corner, of the room, who's his kind of pet. Um, uh, but his latest book um, is called Grey Bees, and this is um, and most of his books I think reflect the nature of Ukraine and its history and um, not uh, he's quite critical of Russia, uh, I think um but uh grazer uh, well i'll I'll, uh, I'll read the back of this um in ukraine's gray zone the no man's land between loyalist and separatist forces there lies a village of three streets thanks to the war of sporadic violence and constant propaganda that has been dragging on for years only two villages remain retired safety inspector turned uh, beekeeper sergey sergeyevich and pashka his old enemy from his school days i mean that sounds great in itself doesn't it but how mm. relevant this is sort of that um i don't know exactly where it, whether it's crimea it might be crimea or it might be donbass you know that the the, the, the disputed territories um and uh yeah a great a great setup but the guy is a great writer and they're probably 
uh, based on his other books. I haven't read it yet, but darkly comic, I would mm -hmm. say. And then, yeah, kind of raided Waterstones. I went to Waterstones shortly after the uh, invasion started and said, oh, I bet you're selling loads of books about Ukraine and, and Putin, aren't you? They said, well, you know, funnily enough, um, no, no, no one's asking now. They've got tables for them. <laughs> but uh, I, I was intrigued to go a little bit further into why uh, Russia would invade Ukraine. So um, I've got uh, The Lost Kingdom by Serhei Plokhi, I think it is. I'll spell it out and put it in the show notes. Um, but it's basically a history of Russian nationalism from Ivan the Great to Vladimir Putin. Um, he goes into the various um, occasions when Tsars and uh, leaders of Russia have headed out to places like Afghanistan or Georgia or now Ukraine, believing in the greater empire and um, that they're sort of um, building a lost kingdom that may possibly never have existed. Um, and the only other book that I wanted to mention, and I haven't even got this yet, but I did flick through it in Waterstones. All right. Does that count as, as real? Oh, yes. Yes. Yeah? Oh, okay, then. Well, it's called uh, Putin's People. And I'm just checking who it's by. Catherine Belton. It's been out for quite a while. It's quite a thick book. Um, I mainly flicked through the photographs. <laughs> but it did totally fascinating in um, realizing where Vladimir Putin started and sort of came from nowhere, really, um, and, and why perhaps he does what he does or what his intentions might be. Um, all fascinating, terrifying, um, but uh, I'm finding it reassuring to sort of dive into those sort of books. It just gives you a, a, a it gives me a better perspective. Uh, and mm. even though it doesn't necessarily make things right, um, makes me feel a little bit better. And then I'll rush away and read a bit of Middlemarch, <laughs> just to just to balance things out. But uh, well, it helps to process and understand. I think doesn't it? It at least makes you feel that you can't control what's happening out there in the world, but you can control what you know and what you're willing to find out. Yeah. Uh, I, mean, I think that just anything that you can choose to do yourself that yeah yeah I mean you know we can't all take Ukrainian refugees I mean I suppose a lot of us you know we can we can donate money which is a, a thing that helps but uh, just talking about things getting your head around it and hopefully oh, even just a few of us try and understand these things it will prevent such things happening again i don't know maybe i'm getting old and altruistic <laughs> i guess that's allowed isn't it <laughs> but, i think just trying yeah. to understand anything really um even if it even if the only effect it ends up having is on a small scale <laughs> you know in a personal life um don't how people relate to each other any book that you read if it doesn't change you in some way or if it doesn't leave something with you is probably not done its job um and that's fiction and well we talked a lot about how mm. fiction can actually be um give you clarity on things far more than than non-fiction does sometimes mm. but uh, it's it, uh books stay with you and 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 should actually 
uh, bits should stick, shouldn't they? But, yes. Yeah. Um, so uh, what I wanted to do is just sort of uh, pitch us forward into future episodes, and I'm hoping this might be the next episode. Um, our uh, M former MP of Wrexham, uh, Ian Lucas, um, who uh, has spent his time post being an MP uh, writing a book um, called Digital Digital Gangsters. Uh, which is uh, his experience. Um, he was on one of the uh, um, House of Commons committees looking into things like Cambridge Analytica and the use of data across the globe, how it's how they've been used to influence elections, how, you know, with Trump coming to power and, and British elections, a Brexit uh, referendum. Um, and so, you know, writing about the stuff that he, he knows and um, it is still concerned about uh, use of the dark web, particularly um, in influencing elections. So it's not out yet. I think it's coming out next week. Uh, it's published by the Byline, I think it's called the Byline Times. Uh, he has promised to do an interview um, with me. So that will be interesting. I'm hoping that will be uh, coming out at uh, probably the end of April. Um, of course, in the meantime, <laughs> Wrexham Carnival of Words looms again for the ninth year running. Can you believe wow, nine, nine years? Yes, I can't believe that. <laughs> wow. uh, and I'd love to say to everyone listening to this podcast, because we do have a global reach, um, especially a well, special hello to our listener in the Faroe Islands. Um, I, I love the fact that someone in the Faroe Islands is tuned into this. Uh, but... Uh, if you're anywhere near um, North East Wales uh, from the 21st of April to the 30th of April, um, there's a lot of stuff going on. Uh, you can go and look at WrexhamCarnivalOfWords.com, which um, I think, Gwyn, you had a you had a hand in the origins of that website, didn't you? Mm, uh, yes, and, yes. Uh, Hand this over uh, to somebody far more qualified. <laughs> Every, everything is there. Um, I don't think anything is going to be immediately available online because we're hoping we're going to meet face to face. Um, but I, one, I've got, I am reading quite a lot of books that I need to read because I'm interviewing uh, people. Uh, Mark Billingham being the first person um, on the first Thursday. Um, I can't wait to meet him, former stand-up comic turned crime writer. Um, and we've yeah it got uh anglo-saxons we've got uh uh romantic comedy um obviously the middlemarch readathon um summary event um people talking about slate quarries um and a carousel you see what we did carnival carousel um where there's a um in t all day on saturday the 30th um there's a sort of running open mic of uh, people um reading uh, their work and then short panels about bringing authors together talking about who's influenced them their favorite poets uh there's one about westerns i didn't have any influence oh yes i did but you know uh and another one about graphic novels it's going to be great it's going to be a great. lot of be... stuff that's really varied that is so good it's just getting better from year to year isn't it absolutely and, and 10 years next year and then if wrexham does become city of culture can you imagine oh we'll be no. uh, 
But well, just announced that we are in the shortlist uh, of mm -hmm. four, so there's it, it's very likely the town that has Hollywood stars uh, owning the football club and City of Culture. It does it can't get better than that, can it? Eh? And and have a little podcast contributing to it. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. Well, yes, this podcast was of course born in Wrexham, and um, of course it was on the radio. Yes, mm -hmm. yes. So, uh, well, that's. Um, I think we've. I think we've warmed up poetry and motion too quite well, don't you, Gwen? I think so, and I. I, I barely mentioned poetry at all. I think I've done quite well. <laughs> I think you've done very well. I. I won't ask you who your favourite poet is then. <laughs> I'm going to say one thing. I know what you were saying about performance poetry, and it makes such a difference when you can hear it spoken or see it performed. Yes. But I will put in a little word for poetry written on the page, because one thing that springs to mind, being in this year of Alice in Wonderland anniversary, Alice Through the Looking Glass, and there is a poem in one of the Alice books. Um, I can't remember how it goes now. It's only just come to mind, but it's... Um, Something about Fury said to the mouse, who he met in the house. Yes. And then, and it's all written in the shape of a mouse's tail. Yes, I remember and it. I, yes. You can't do that when you're performing. So there is something to be said for writing poetry down and giving it a physical shape on the page. Well, you you have inadvertently sent me off in a whole different spin on poetry. You talked a lot about poetry and music. Yeah. Um, another one, um, another poem that is shaped, um, George Herbert. Uh, one of the metaphysical poets mm. back in, um, oh, I, I guess he was sort of just, just post-Tudor times, but he was a vicar and wrote quite, um, well, yes, they are religious verses, but they're, they're, they're poetry for believers and unbelievers, I think. It, 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 it was, he, I think he was doubting a lot of the time, but he did one about angels and it's in the shape of um, mm. angels' wings. I mean that's way before his before his time, isn't it? You know. Mm -hmm. So yes, well, excellent, excellent Fair point. <laughs> yeah. So, um, well, thank you, Gwen, for um, uh, beaming in from Newport, and uh, um, we will catch up again uh, in about a month's time. I'm mm -hmm. going to move us seamlessly on now to uh, the interview with our um, friend and uh, colleague uh, Peter Reed who uh, is talking to me. We talked to me a couple of weeks ago, mainly about poetry, but as you see, we do get distracted because Peter, as uh, we said at the top of the show, is a man of many parts, uh, playwright, author, poet, performer, um, football fanatic, um, and you'll, you'll, you'll find out. And he also does a very, very, very good passing impression of people who live in Swansea. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so uh, enjoy this. I think it adds to um, the uh, things that Liz Lefroy and I talked about in the previous show. You know, uh, it does lead on from that about um, the creative method and how um, things come to, to, to poets and why poetry and not other other means. So um, here we go. This is Peter Reed. Enjoy. I am delighted today to be joined by, well, uh, I called him off-air, an ambidextrous writer, playwright, poet, uh, author of um, 
biography and uh, fiction and plays. Peter, you've done it all. Peter Reed, uh, I'm delighted you've been able to join us. Well, it's great to be with you, and thanks for the introduction. I um, I quite like the sound of it, really. <laughs> yes, no, I, 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 I sort of um, introduced you um, fairly modestly, but I think uh, our listeners will find out that uh, um, you, you're a, you're a many, many talented uh, writer, and you, you and I have talked back in radio days on a, a couple of occasions, and uh, we've often ended up in just uh, uh, lots of laughter. So just be a be prepared that this may dissolve into complete chaos, but uh, only in the most positive way possible. So, Peter, um, g- given that writing comes to you in many ways, uh, plays, um, and you you obviously take on commissions to to to, to write biographies, uh, you write fiction, you write poetry. But uh, we're focusing particularly on poetry. Uh, I'm interested how. Um, when when the muse comes to you, do you know that this is obviously going to be a poem, or do you sit down one day and you think, "Oh, I'm going to do a poem today"? How 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 is it for you? I know it's different for every writer, but uh... I think what happens first for me is is the general idea of a poem, and sometimes that works out uh, in terms of coming as the first line and the last line, uh, wh- whatever I write. I seem to get the ending first right. um, and then the beginning. And um, it's that troublesome bit in between uh, <laughs> that really challenges and causes all the problems. And um, it's interesting that if I think about the poems that come to me, I think the, the idea comes and probably stays in my head for two, three days. And then um, I get some act absolute cracking lines at about 3.15 in the morning <laughs> um, and I can't see to find my pen uh, or a piece of paper um, and then uh, when I wake up in the morning um, it's like I've, I've killed the muse almost <laughs> and it's a real battle then to uh, get her or him back. Um, but yeah, it's it's a challenge. I, I would say that of all my forms of writing, that uh, poetry is the most challenging and the most difficult uh, to get to get it right. Okay, so when um, so when you have the end and then the beginning and then the sandwich filling, um, mm-hmm. h- how does it go from there? Do you are you a, a, a poet that then um, spends a lot of time, lets it rest, and then goes back? And you know, I remember seeing some of um, Wilfred Owen's original drafts uh, of his poems, and in the trenches, even he would <laughs> he would go back over things and change words over a long period, well, relatively long period of time. How does it work for you? Yes. Um... Quite similar in many ways, although um, certainly one of my heroes, Dylan Thomas, mm. would spend weeks on one poem and he would sit with his friend Vernon Watkins, also a fabulous poet. And the two of them would um, go through everything uh, with a tooth-combery. And it's interesting, uh, we do have all the Dylan Thomas Centre in Swansea has uh, lots of examples of Dylan Thomas's scribbles in very small mm. uh, letters um, and uh, Vernon's comments as well uh, on the poem. And I think um, 
one of the biggest things about poems is that when a poem comes to me, um, I write it as it comes really and uh, just put everything down. And then uh, when I look at it again, um, I realize uh, that there are a huge number of words that don't need to be there. And I think it was um, Samuel Johnson, or if it wasn't, it was somebody else uh, who once said, um, you have to look at your poem and demand of every word, what are you doing here? I was just going to say that yeah. I feel if you can take a word out mm. uh, or more than one word and the poem still stands or even uh, is better um, than before, then that's great. Uh, yeah. So, so it's yes. So it's it's um it, it's 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 almost um a, a a process of reduction, I suppose. You you start with the um I, I was talking to 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 Liz Lefroy um in in the previous episode, and um we I think we came to the conclusion that the actual muse came to her almost like music comes to musicians you know the, the 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 initial tune comes into their head and then sort of get it down and then um it's a, a case of, of of redacting it down to the to the to the essence that that makes sense to you do, do you worry um and this is an odd question in a way do you, do you think about who might be reading this do you worry about well this doesn't really make sense no one will understand me or are you quite happy for the poem to be what it is and um i certainly read poetry in this way and let it wash over the reader um and be whatever it needs to be uh, i'm interested to know that process yes i think that's very important uh, that you just as a listener or as a reader, uh, you let it wash over you. And I can remember somebody saying to me once about uh, a poet who I was finding it very difficult to understand everything he was writing. And in fact, the, the poet was uh, Dylan Thomas. And perhaps people don't realize that while there are some very famous and very accessible poems by him, like Fern Hill and Do Not Be Gentle Into That Good Night, there are some which are really quite impenetrable but somebody said to me well if you're listening to classical music you don't need to know the background uh, or the complete background of why the composer uh, composed this piece of music you let the music as you say wash over you and i think that's um, that's a very important point something else that crossed my mind when when you were asking me the uh, initial question was that there are for me, there's a huge difference between writing for the stage and writing for the page. Mm. And uh, I started life very much as a performance poet. And I think that process was very much one where I said, I only really want one main idea in here uh, because the audience have no chance uh, to to wind back and to stop me and say, say that again. Uh, so it really has to make an immediate impact. And that's why I think uh, performance poetry is very different to uh, poetry for uh, the page. So it's a poetry for the stage or poetry for the page. And um, I think for myself, that when I'm reading a poem in a book, I, I, I read it, um, I find that uh, I get something different 
from it every time. That's yes, I, that, that's that's interesting. I, th I think um, in this little poetry journey we've been going on in this podcast, that um, the the conclusion we come to is that uh, um, e e even maybe if the poem comes to you as, as something for you and you just write that down, it, it, it is always better to hear it, even if you're, if you're speaking it to yourself. Um, it, it, it is, it is a, a, like music, it is meant to be heard and uh, often comes alive when read. Um, definitely. I, I, before, I, I need to get on to um, uh, so, some of your work, uh, Peter, but I, I need to, just before we go there, um, a couple of questions really. One is, when when did you first start to write poetry Was uh, and were there any major influences one or two poets who particularly stand out for you obviously you talked about dylan thomas as a mm. as a as a, a key po uh, poet in your life um but uh, i'm just interested where did it come from i mean i'm i'm assuming that you didn't um sort of uh come out of the womb with a pencil in your hand um mm. writing poetry or maybe you did i don't know in fact the first poem i ever wrote uh, was under uh in inglorious circumstances, really, if there is a word uh, such as inglorious, or is it unglorious? Anyway, um, circumstances which were not full of glory at all. And basically, um, I, I was in the grammar school, and um, we used to have, um, as of course they do in Wales still, uh, we had school ice dead ones, which was uh, a huge festival in both. Um, the Welsh language and English language. And in our school, it went on for three days. Gosh. <laughs> and um, we had houses um, and I was head of the house. And one of the kind of crowning uh, glories of, of the competition in, in the school that I went to um, was the chair poem. Now, if you won the chair poem, you've got something like 30 points. Wow. And, uh, if you came second, I think you got 20. And uh, if you came third, you got 10. I think that's how it worked. And for all other competitions, if you won, you got six and four and two. Um, so um, I, I suddenly realized uh, with a day to go that nobody in my house uh, had entered for the chair poem. So I just sat down and wrote one. And the theme was, um, uh, freedom and uh, I wrote a poem about um, Christianity and how uh, so many uh, perpetrators of Christianity talk about the fact that they are being free but then they seem to sort of bind everybody who joins them and uh, I'm reminded of, of the Rousseau um, quote that man was born free but every, every time I look at him he is in chains and so I wrote this poem and it just so happened that the adjudicator uh, it turned out that he was um, uh, a clergyman <laughs> and um, he, he, um, he, he gave me a second prize so I got 20 points so it was sort of worth it really yeah he said, um, and uh, I read this he had a wonderful Welsh accent I read this to all my friends and my friends in the church, they were split down the middle. Some of them said heretic, and <laughs> others of them said genius. 
And I was very proud of that. And I think... <laughs> so you should be. <laughs> I think I've managed to keep those accolades going throughout my <laughs> career. <laughs> wow, that's, that's, a, that's a great start to your poetic career. So... Yeah. Um, uh, Actually, I do have another question for you because you yeah. you, you you speak Welsh. You, you originate from Roast, don't you? So, um, a very yeah. particular form of Welsh. Uh, yes. When poetry comes to you, um, a, a bit like Dylan Thomas and R. S. Thomas, both of whom wrote um, uh, wholly in English, um, mm. is there any time that you feel actually this is coming to me? Uh, and it, it it needs to be formed in Welsh or English or whatever other language you may speak, or is that not a consideration? No, it's it's not a consideration really because um, I I was born of um, a father from Newcastle uh, upon Tyne and a mother from Winchester uh, in Hampshire, um, and they goodness knows how they met because it's one end <laughs> to the other. But they did, and I'm very glad they did, because um, I was uh, born. And um, so I grew up in Roslana Fiegog and taught myself Welsh. Um, and people say that the people of Roslana Fiegog uh, speak pidgin Welsh. I'm not sure what my Welsh is. Um, <laughs> some people understand it, some people don't. So I don't, I, I don't think in Welsh, although it's interesting I, I often go to Welsh poetry readings and I find poems uh, a lot easier to um, um, translate quickly uh, in my head than, um, uh, than prose. And I think that's because um, poems, in a sense, encourage you to linger uh, from word to word and to think um, about what's being said. Mm -hmm. Oh, that, that, that's, that's um, very interesting. I, I, uh... Uh, I didn't want to let this go by without without yeah. touching on the Welsh language. But uh, so um, let's talk a little bit about. Um, well, I know you've been um, of a philosophical muse of late, haven't you? And you're you're working on uh, poems um, around uh, philosophy. T tell us a little bit about that. Well, um, about the process is quite interesting actually because. I've always been influenced, I think, from my poetry. Um, I started writing poetry seriously when uh, I, I was quite old. Um, and um, I was living in Swansea. Um, and I used to travel on a bus, uh, the shuttle bus from Swansea to Cardiff, because I was working in Cardiff. And I used to hear uh, wonderful things on the bus. Uh, <laughs> and I'd jot, I'd jot them down. So I was very much an eavesdropper. Um, and I think Swansea is the kind of place where uh, you need a notebook in your pocket because um, the people are just wonderful there. And um, I'm always interested in the fact that when people ask other people, how are you? Uh, normally, uh, people will just say, okay, thanks, and they move on. Mm -hmm. uh, but in Swansea, they stop and they give, they give you a medical account um, everything that's been troubling them. And I remember um, foolishly asking somebody, uh, are you all right in Swansea? And uh, it turned into a sort of, well, I, I am now, but I am being, see, because I've had terrible piles and I have to sit on walls and that helps. Um, but you think, well, too much information for really, <laughs> asked. But the, the, the other great thing, um, and, and I will move on to answer the question, <laughs> 
the other great thing uh, about Swansea was people would come up to you um, in the pub and talk to you as if as if they knew you. And my favourite ever was a man who came up to me and said, um, "What's the difference between a collision and an explosion?" And I said, "Well, I don't know. What is the difference between a collision and an explosion?" I said, "With a collision, there you are. With an explosion." Where are you? <laughs> and so, the reason I've gone into that uh, long-winded introduction is that really my original poetry uh, was influenced by things I heard. It was influenced by people, uh, influenced really by the pub, wonderful characters in, in pubs. Um, and it's only recently, uh, because I've as you said at the beginning, because I've been doing so much other writing work, it's only recently that I've come back uh, to poetry. And as I have come back to it, I've been a lot more interested in not what I hear, uh, but what I think and what yeah. other people think and where the processes come from uh, for the different thoughts. Because when you start delving, certainly into philosophy, uh, you begin to realize that there are so many options uh, when we ask the question, how should I think? And of course, all camps will say you should think our way. Uh, but I think it's quite possible to think in many different ways, sometimes ways that appear to be contradictory. So that got me on this road uh, of um, writing poems about poetry. And I am trying to put together an anthology uh, which I'm going to call uh, thinking, not frowning. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so I'd, I'd love you to um, share something um, uh, from this forthcoming uh, collection, uh, Peter, if you would. Okay. Yeah. Um, well, I, I shall. I shall read um, a poem called "Having a Theseus Moment." Now, Theseus um, was uh, a philosopher who said that um, he had a ship, and when the ship was repaired many, many times, uh, with major parts of the craft being replaced, uh, it led to him, Theseus, the philosopher, asking whether it could be called the same ship. So this is called having a Theseus moment. Surfing the net, there are 450 Peter Reeds, the MD of a sewage company in Wiltshire, a former England footballer, an Olympic medalist who found gold in a rowing boat, or a dead Hampshire celebrity from three centuries ago. And that's just my name. Looking at photos, so many adjustments, gold teeth, false teeth, hip, knee replacements, a touch of osteoarthritis, a major operation on the spine can all tamper with the original model. And that's just the body, never mind the mind. So many have played on my intellect. In youth, God marked my every move. Then I pronounced him ethereal, missing, presumed dead before discovering him in rivers, trees, and rabid left of centre gave way to apathy. I changed from love cynic to rampant romantic. Peter Reed, who are you? Peter Reed, who am I? 
Oh gosh, Peter, when you sent me um, uh, uh, some of your poems and said, which one shall I read? That spoke to me immediately um, as you get older and the bits falling off or being mm -hmm. repaired. I'm not quite mm -hmm. sure who Paul Jarrett is anymore, but there we are. We're here now. So. <laughs> and there's this fascinating idea, isn't there, about how many selves do we have? And um, the wonderful uh, quote by um, Walt Whitman, I am myriad. Um, Oh. And Byron said, under the skin, there are at least four people. <laughs> well, yeah, do you, you know what? This is a strange thing, because I was speaking to someone who's a former mm. uh, a former vicar, um, and yeah. he, um, we were just talking about how, uh, what, you know, what happens when you die, but actually, essentially, we are atoms that then regenerate into whatever you know we go back into the universe and um, that's just a, a huge extension of that idea isn't it well Walt Whitman yeah. said it far more eloquently than than I did so uh, yes well let's continue your philosoph philosophical musings Peter I, I that that was um, just a taster wasn't it that's great well um one of the features I think of, of my poetry is I I do because I write um, in free verse, there's always the danger of going too close to the wire of um, prose. And I've always tried to keep uh, rhythm and musicality uh, in my mm. poem. And um, this next poem is called Thinking in Threes for Mr. Hegel. Now, of course, Hegel was um, a very famous uh, philosopher, and he believed that all thought should start with uh, the first idea which you call the thesis and then secondly you bring arguments against the thesis thesis sorry so you call it the antithesis and then finally uh, you bring all the information you've gathered uh, to the final conclusion which is called the synthesis and it struck me uh, when i was reading mr hegel uh, has dominated uh, our thinking so this is called thinking in threes for Mr. Hegel. I'm not sure if the birds and bees do it, but Hegel's effervescent sisters, thesis, antithesis, synthesis, they do it. Plus Euclid's three-sided triangles, they're all doing it. Let's do it. Let's think in threes. Primary, secondary, and tertiary education does it. Even six o'clock news does it. Because sermons definitely do it. Everyone's done it, doing it, or about to do it. With rhyming, blank, and free verse, poetry too is doing it. They are all doing it. Let's do it. Let's think in threes. But I'd like to think in circles. Wavy lines, whirring patterns, this way, that way, any way at all, any shape we can, to think in nines, fives, odd, or even even numbers. I want to throw away the Holy Ghost of thought. Let's do it. Let's freely think. Let's just think in dot, dot, dot. Dare I say, Peter, I, I, I can cut this out if you uh, tell me to get lost, but uh, I, I do I sense a hint of Victoria Wood in there? That's right, yes. yes. <laughs> I, I, I love uh, Victoria Wood and I watch her again and again. Oh, she's uh, genius. 
Yes. Um, not that I'll ever be on a, a desert island, but if I was ever sent to a desert island, I, I would take the two soup sketch. <laughs> yes. For those, for those who haven't seen it, please watch it. It's the only time I've watched television and ended up on the floor from <laughs> uh, the two uh, in total hysterics. Yeah, yeah, I think she's wonderful. Yeah. She um, actually, t- she, 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 was a genius with words, wasn't yes. she? Absolute genius. Absolutely, yeah, 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 yeah. 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 Uh, yes, but, but I, I, I take it as a great homage to, uh, to to Victoria Wood. Then that's that's excellent. I think in some ways, what I'm trying to say in the poem is that we all tend to think in a straight yeah. line, this yeah. linear way. Yeah. And when you look at uh, Buddhist thinkers and Hindu thinkers, uh, it's much more circular. Yes. And yeah. uh, brings everything into it yeah well that, that that that's so true and i mean the whole of academia universities certainly in this country possibly yeah. globally um it, it is entirely um thesis antithesis and synthesis yeah. that that is uh, every every thesis that has ever been written that is the yeah. basis of um of western thought and um yes, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's yeah. it, it's interesting personally my brain doesn't actually neatly fit into that pattern either <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yes. So um, um, I, I know, well, I, I, I did say to you that all, all, you sent me a number of poems and I said I'd love you to do all of them, but I, sadly we don't have time for that. But uh, yeah, I'd love to hear just, just one more and um, then we can maybe move on to your, well, exciting current projects that aren't always all poets, uh, poetry, are they? But uh, just one more poem. We've got time for that. Okay. I'd like to read um, Liquid Modernity. Um, and uh, it's based on a quote by a philosopher called um, Zygmunt Bowman, uh, who says, in a liquid modern life, there are no permanent bonds. Mm. And I think when you think about what's going on uh, in the world of uh, thought and in the world of technology, uh, that's such an accurate statement of what many people think. Um, And this is a slightly... Uh, ironic look at that. It's called liquid modernity. Um, And I suppose it's the closest I'll ever get to a rap. Um, But here we go. (laughs) Liquid modernity. In Willie Giggs' movement, don't worry where, just move. A man in Preston has had 21 addresses. That's the spirit. Don't go for the same place all my life thing, nor the gold watch at 65. Let those million trillion nanoseconds graze your mind with fleeting ideas. Don't head for the rock, play in the sand. Meet, love, take, leave the woman of your dreams. This is the new century. No time to cultivate cultures. Go with the flux, the vortex, the excitement, the X-factor etymology, not steady, eddy, solid, solid words of commitment. Keep moving, keep flowing. Don't slow to categorize. Live it, be it, keep changing. Him and praise liquid modernity. Take 10 tablets of a different God's credo three times a day. If symptoms of monotheism persist, persist call for help immediately. Believe, doubt, don't believe, believe again, but don't get stuck in a system. Like Elvis, Euclid's left the building. Don't be bound by maths certainty. We are clever digital men who can turn any function into malfunction with a flick of a switch. 
resist temptations to restructure this poem. Last century, we ditched iambic within a meter of its life. Churn out your own prose or verse. Construct your own world. Make heaven out of the hell of certainty. If we'd followed the Babylonian calendar, we'd all be so much younger anyway. At the end of the day, who cares? Stop fretting. Relax with a nice glass of liquid modernity. <laughs> oh, thank you, Peter. I, I, I wish we could go. I'm going I'm going to give you actually um, a challenge and you're very welcome to just say I can't do that. But out of um, all your philosophical, I can't even say it, philosophical musings, is there a, a, a particular ph philosopher that always stays with you, that your go-to person that you go back to? Soren Kierkegaard. All right, who many, excellent. Who many would say was the uh, uh, father of existentialism, which mm. of course people like Jean-Paul Sartre uh, took on board themselves. But for Kierkegaard, it was very much this idea uh, that you find truth that is true for you. So, in other words, you, you look at all the options and and you find that thing that changes your life, changes your mind, changes your way um, of looking at things. And is how he challenges this idea that we all live secondhand lives. Mm. Um, and he, of course, was a clergyman uh, who was uh, very opposed to the way the church told uh, the church members everything they had to believe and mm. the whole idea of catechisms and that kind of thing. So it was very much that he wanted people to go on this adventure, this adventure of thought, this adventure uh, of belief. And there was a wonderful uh, biography of him written a couple of years ago. And I'm really sorry I've forgotten her first name, but it, uh, I think the second name is Carlisle. Um, and it's a, a spectacular uh, biography of, of his life. Am I right in, I, I may have misremembered this, but um, am I right in thinking he, he took himself off to a, um, a, a, a cave or a remote place to, to muse on his thinking? Uh, that was him, wasn't it? Yeah, he, he certainly took himself into the woods a lot. Mm. And mm. It's very interesting. Um, just last night I watched um, Simon Sharma's programme about the romantics. Mm. Um, and he was very interested in the, uh, Kierkegaard was very interested in the German romantics and uh, the idea of finding yourself in nature. Um, and of course, uh, uh, there are a lot of thinkers and writers uh, who, who've gone down that path, like David uh, Thoreau and uh, American Song. Yes, just there, because of the joys of technology, I thought I heard you say finding yourself in Nietzsche, but that's a, that's a whole different thing, isn't it? <laughs> Sorry. Um, well, I can't too. I think he's been massively misunderstood. But, yes, yeah. absolutely, yes. Yeah. So um, yeah. uh, we, we're only getting a glimpse of your, your poetry uh, to, today. When is, when is, are you hoping this collection might be published? Well, that links us into the next section you wanted to talk okay. about the, the project I've got on uh, at the moment. Um, but I'm hoping uh, to try and um, put this together, uh, hopefully early next year. Okay. Um, 
I, I what I will do is put in the show notes um, links to to your previous uh, collections so people can go and seek them out for themselves and um, mm. uh, so would you you will not be deprived of uh, finding more of them um... so tell us Peter you you you're a very busy man and you're working on well one particularly big and exciting project aren't you Yes, well, it, it's interesting because you, when I first started writing, it was only poetry. And um, when I gave up the day job, uh, I realised that uh, poems were not going to put bread on, on the tap. Look at other ways of any money as a writer. And uh, of course, I did a lot of work in schools um, because I am a, a qualified teacher. Um, but um, I started looking at other ways of uh, making money and making a living. And the first one that popped up for me quite accidentally really uh, was ghostwriting. And uh, I ended up writing um, the lives of footballers like Dixon McNeil of Wrexham, Gary Monk, uh, who went on to um, Sheffield Wednesday and, and other clubs as well. Um, and uh, also um, I, Ghost wrote the life story of um, uh, quite a famous actor and performer in Wales uh, called Kevin Johns. Um, so, I've, and he too was uh, involved in, in football, although not as a player. So I, I've ended up doing quite a lot of books about football. Um, and when the two Hollywood stars, Ryan Reynolds and Rob McElhenney took over Wrexham officially just a year ago now, uh, um, in February of last year. Then um, I began to think um, it would be great to write a book um, about uh, Hollywood to Wrexham. And that's the title I'm using. And in fact, I've been commissioned to write that. So um, I'm writing this book, not just um, about the takeover, but it's also a sort of memoir of me uh, as a 10 year old uh, deciding to follow Wrexham mm -hmm. and something I've done for the rest of my life. And I think it's interesting because football for fans is, is like a disease. Uh, there's, no, there's no tablet to take and there's no medicine um, and you're just absolutely hooked on, mm. on this team. And um, I, I could have been struck with, you know, I, I, I was struck with Wrexhamitis, <laughs> and it could really have been struck with Manchester United-itis, or Manchester mm. City-itis, or Liverpool-itis, or Everton-itis, because they are all teams within 45 minutes drive, in a sense, from um, Rosanna Frigog. Uh, so the book is going to be this mix of what's been going on since the Hollywood stars took it over, and also me uh, as a fan, and I'm fortunate at the moment I've, I've got um, a season ticket. So I sit uh, in the same place for every game. And it's quite fascinating to uh, hear some of the fans and some of the great one-liners that people come out with. So all of that, I'm hoping, will colour the book. Um, I've never been a great fan of historical books that just give me facts. Mm. And uh, I, I don't like sports books to do that either. Uh, I want the sport book to um, have fire in its belly, mm. and that's what I'm hoping uh, from this. And that's um, that's due out um, towards the end of the year, is that right? Yeah, that's right, because yeah. I, I I am writing it 
as the season goes along and the season finishes um, in uh, late April, early May. Um, and I'm hoping uh, that I'll be handing over the book in June or July, ready for the uh, Christmas market. That's the aim anyway. So uh, you, you, you know, the term fantasy football is um, often bandied around, but for Wrexham just at the minute, I mean, this is uh, almost like a, a waking dream, isn't it? You keep pinching yourself and look, they're fourth in the table as we speak. And, uh, and two Hollywood stars who seem genuinely overwhelmed with passion as if they've been Wrexham supporters all their lives. Well, that's the great thing about it, because I've, I've lived in different parts of Britain and I've, I've always followed the local team. And you get all these chairmen coming in and uh, pledging undying love for the club, which they've probably never heard of before uh, they signed on the dotted line. And for so many uh, chairmen, it's just a financial proposition. But you feel uh, with these two that um, they really did do all their research. They... They decided on Wrexham um, because of the fan base that Wrexham have, which is quite extraordinary for a non-league club. Mm. Uh, I was there on Saturday and I'll be there again tonight. And they, they're pulling in crowds of eight and a half, nine thousand. And yeah. even for one game, they had ten and a half thousand. So it's absolutely extraordinary. And suddenly, uh, from an atmosphere where you could talk to your friends in the, in the stand opposite by just shouting <laughs> and we've got this raucous atmosphere it's absolutely fantastic yes and actually if you the the fantasy could be that if they go up in three or four years time they could be in the premiership they could with the they could, couldn't they? they you can you can dream so that that i i think we'll have you back peter we talked about this um uh, when we met a couple of weeks ago and i'd love to have you back and we will have a a football focused um podcast because we haven't really touched on sports since we started just over a year ago so uh, that would be great so um and I know you 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 often you often have a, multiple projects going on, but I think that's going to keep you off the streets for the next uh, few weeks, yes, isn't it? it is. Yes, yes. yes. Yeah. Look, um, I, I don't want to keep you away from um, one question I never asked you. Do you write directly on a piece of paper, or do you write onto computer, or does it depend on what you're doing? It depends what I'm doing a little bit, um, but I have to um, check all kinds of facts. And I also have to read reports of games and that sort of thing and reports of what Rob and Ryan are up to. Uh, mm. So I do make copious notes. Uh, but then it's a joyful experience when I've got all the notes in order and off to go on the computer and get it, um, get it written up. Well, I, I won't keep you away from your, your, your warm computer. At least we've warmed your computer up anyway. And, mm -hmm. and thank you so much for giving us uh, time uh, today, Peter, and as I say, we'll get you back um, just in time for Christmas. That'd be lovely. Yes, uh, well, and uh, really enjoyed it. I did. I did warn the listeners that we might end up with laughter, and we definitely went uh, went there, didn't we? So, uh, um, thank you so much, and uh, I wish you well with your 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 projects, and and we'll speak again soon. I really hope you enjoyed that uh, interview with uh, Peter Reed. Uh, really grateful for Peter giving us his time as the as you could heard in the interview how busy he is.
So I am absolutely delighted now for Lara is back with us on the podcast. Hello, Lara. Hello, Paul. Hello, everybody. It's nice to be back. It's lovely to have you back. And um, I think uh, the not that you would ever have wanted to avoid this podcast, um, but as we sort of dangled the tempting tidbit of poetry up there, you were going to come here, come hell or high water. Isn't that fair to say? Indeed, I could not be held away. Uh, yeah, <laughs> nothing, nothing would hold me back when it comes to poetry. So it's it's a it's an absolute pleasure as as a poet and appreciator of poetry to have such amazing, uh, you know, to be able to cover this genre really because it's a fantastic genre. Poetry is a wonderful thing, and it's it's fantastic to share it and enjoy it and be part of it. It, it gets a bad press. I've said, I've said this to Peter and Liz. It does get a bad press. And I, I think it happens for a lot of people. It happens in school when poetry is forced on them or teachers don't necessarily introduce it or aren't particularly keen themselves. And it sometimes a bit like music. Sometimes it kills people's love uh, or even thinks thinking it's their thing at all. Don't you think? Yeah, and because and poetry is so subjective as well. So I think when we do study certain poems, I, I think a lot, of, you know, I I get it. And a few people think, oh, my gosh, Lara, you must think it's in, insulting when somebody says to you, well, I hate poetry, but I enjoyed this poetry show. Or, or you know, and, and I think that's a part, of, a part of it is because there are so many poems out there. So just because one poem might not necessarily speak to you, another one might completely sweep you away. And because it's so vast and there's so many poets from all over the world covering all sorts of different topics, I always say to people that, you know, give, you know, even just open a, an anthology or anything and something will speak to you, something will resonate and that's what you want. You know, that poetry is great at that immediacy, I think, of feeling. Uh, all the human emotions that we experience yeah and and it's um and it's condensed isn't it it's uh, you can get the impact of a, a 500 page novel in the space of a 14 line sonnet can't you and that's just beautiful you know it's yeah. to, to be able to condense all of that all, all of those feelings and all of those emotions so sharply and what, no matter what kind of poem it is whether it's a sonnet whether it's a villainette whether it's a, a lyric or a rhyme um the, the the idea of poetry is, is that it really is for everybody it really is old young it doesn't matter it will bridge gaps between countries between people and it's it's a wonderful thing so we're we're going to dive into as as Holly and I had our moment in the uh, in the sun and uh, shared all our favourite poets and and poems or actually not nearly as many as we wanted to because we just ran out of time. Um, <laughs> uh, we're going to uh, dive into your poetry collection and you're going to share well, four or five. I'll let you do four or five. But before we do okay. that, because because okay. you're 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 a poet yourself, aren't you, Lara? I uh, where where did that start for you? When when did you? Yeah. To, to be honest, Paul, I think it was a, a mix of both of those both of those things. So I always remember from being very young, like going to the library and just absorbing uh, poetry books. So I loved Spike Milligan. My dad was a big Spike Milligan fan. Yeah, and I, I we we read on the Ning Nang Nong in school. And I think as onomatopoeia goes, what's a perfect example of uh, onomatopoeia? It's, it's on the on the Ning Nang Nong. But I remember my uncle who lives in America, who's my uncle Godfrey, who I'm going to give a little shout out because he loves books and he 
English reading. Um, but he recommended me a poem called Ogden Nash. And Ogden Nash kind of came along with the whole, you know, candy is dandy, but liquor is quicker. So that was his kind of thing, whimsical and fun. But there was a poem that I'm going to read and it's fantastic. And it's called The Adventures of Isabel. Isabel met an enormous bear, Isabel. Isabel didn't care. The bear was hungry. The bear was ravenous. The bear's big mouth was cruel and cavernous. The bear said, Isabel, glad to meet you. How do, Isabel? Now I'll eat you. Isabel, Isabel didn't worry. She did not scream and she did not scurry. She washed her hands and she straightened her hair up. Then Isabel quietly ate the bear up. Once in a night as black as pitch, Isabel met a wicked old witch. The witch's face was cross and wrinkled. The witch's gums with teeth were sprinkled. Ho, ho, Isabel, the witch crowed. I'll turn you into an ugly toad. Isabel, Isabel didn't worry. She did not scream and she did not scurry. She showed no rage and she showed no rancor, but she turned the witch into milk and drank her. Isabel met a hideous giant. She continued on self-reliant. The giant was hairy. The giant was horrid. He had one eye in the middle of his forehead. Good morning, Isabel, the giant said. I'll grind your bones to make my bread. Isabel, Isabel didn't worry. She did not scream or scurry. She nibbled the Zyback that she fed off. And when it was gone, she cut the giant's head off. She met a troublesome doctor. He punched and he poked till he really shocked her. The doctor's talk was of coughs and chills and the doctor's satchel bundled with pills. The doctor said unto Isabel, swallow this, it will make you well. Isabel, Isabel didn't worry. She did not scream or scurry. She took those pills from the pill concoctor and Isabel calmly cured the doctor. <laughs> oh, that's, that's Isn't it brilliant, right? Yeah. Oh, just that is just you. 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 You took me right back, and I didn't choose. Um, I, sh I should have done this, but um, that goes right back to my um, primary school. We had Hilaire Belloc cautionary tales. Do you know? Yes. Them? Yes. It, it reminded me of those, except Isabel's turning that one on the completely on its head. <laughs> she's she's uh, obviously a child with with issues, but she wins the day. <laughs> And it also reminded me a bit of the Gruffalo. It does. It's got that it rhythm, does. hasn't it? It does. And all of, oh, that's the thing, all of Ogden Nash's, any any of these narratives that he tells, it's so great to have a child sort of like Isabel, really, who is not, you know, she, she deals with this situation, uh, anything that comes into her path, but it's just brilliant. And I, I always say to people, Ogden Nash, you know, if you ever need a cheer up, go, go anywhere, pick up a big, one of his big, big books, because uh, he wrote thousands and thousands of poems. He was so prolific. It was ridiculous. Like the, the, uh, for years and years and years. And he worked, you know, he worked for newspapers and he worked for magazines and, and, and all that kind of stuff. But that was one of my favourite ones. When did you first come across Ogden Nash? How, how young were you? Uh, I think I was probably because my uncle, I mean, uh, my, my uncle had got me this big book. So I think I was about 10 or 11. Mm. Um, and like this book came from America and it was posted to me this big thick volume and I would just sit there at night time with going through these amazing poems 
Um, and I just thought that's wonderful. Like the, the sense of humor is just fantastic. Um, and there was just countless poems. And I, I, it's still one of my favorite books now. I mean, I've read it till the spine has nearly been destroyed. And, and you know, that's when you know you love a book. Yeah. You know? <laughs> what a lovely memory. What a lovely memory. Well, a shout out to your uncle over there, over the pond. All, all the way in Los Angeles. So that's oh, my word. The, the whole other side of, yeah. Exactly. Hey, look, well, come on then, Lara. So, um, that that uh, kind of got your um, pushed your poetry buttons quite early on. Then where where did you go to next? I mean, you're consuming all these books in the library. What you know? What jumped out at you? Yeah, I mean, from like from from poetry. So I've I've always been a, a, a to me it doesn't matter whether it's modern poetry or old poetry. I always I always see a um, I always see the beauty and the wonder in words, but I think that the next poem that, that kind of moved me was, you know, I mentioned uh, Spike Milligan and he does a poem which which basically um, makes fun of this poem, which is by William Wordsworth, <laughs> and it's I Wondered Lonely as a Cloud. I wondered lonely as a cloud that floats so high over vales and hills when all at once I saw a crowd, a host of golden daffodils, beside the lake, beneath the trees, fluttering and dancing in the breeze. Continuous as the stars that shine and twinkle on the Milky Way, they stretched in never-ending line along the margin of a bay. Ten thousand saw I at a glance, toss, tossing their heads in sprightly dance. The waves beside them danced, but they outdid the sparkling waves in glee. A poet could not be gay in such jocund company. I gazed and gazed, but little thought what wealth the show to me had brought. How oft, when on my couch I lie in vacant or in pensive mood, they flash upon that inward eye, which is the bliss of solitude. And then my heart with pleasure fills and dances with the daffodils. So the thing, the thing I love about that poem the most is that poem nearly that that nearly didn't happen it was only because his sister mary i i love i love stories like this that where you get to know the poet and wordsworth was really struggling a lot with writer's block and he said to his sister mary you know i've wrote about everything you know there's nothing to write about which we poets are a little bit dramatic and we are prone to do sometimes <laughs> and uh, she actually said to him she said well she said actually william you know the the, the daffodils are out and you should go and write about that and he went oh no 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 you know and he did and he wrote that poem so I just thought that was a wonderful thing to listen to your sisters and, <laughs> because you end up writing beautiful words like that yeah I think that's um yeah it's you know it's probably one of the most famous poems in the English language isn't it uh, or most yes. people will probably run across it at uh, at school where are we going to Wordsworth, go from? Yes. Where, where do we go from Wordsworth then, uh, Lara? <laughs> oh, well, that's that, that's in, that's that's interesting. Um, where do we go from Wordsworth? Hmm. Go on, take it. What should... one thing I wanted to say about, um, you know, you were talking about Spike Milligan, and uh, you you know started with Ogden Nash, and I was saying about Wordsworth being quite. Um, yeah, quite revolutionary, certainly in his youth. Um, poetry is a vehicle for people who um, are probably have things to say that can't be said in any other way, and they often 
come from a little bit left of field. I mean, I don't mean that politically. I mean, uh, like Spike Milligan, you know, always kind of subverting things. Um, and I think poetry's got a great um, mission for um, say, saying things that other things don't necessarily say and maybe getting away with it. I think so. Yeah, I think I think there's the, you know, like, I think that was one of the gleeful things I found about Milligan was some of the things that he could get away with saying. I was like, how is he getting away with this? You know, like how how is, you know, some some, some of the poems, especially, and, yeah. and you know, it he's so it's so clever as well that like a lot of these words that, are, you know, a few people, I think they say like, you know, nonsense poems and it, they don't really take it seriously, but they're such fun as well you know it's so nice to read out loud and reading when it comes to poetry I really do believe reading it out loud yes. being able to sound that out it's just story you know it's storytelling you know you can't I defy anybody to get through six lines of a Spike Milligan poem even on their worst day without <laughs> chuckling manically to themselves at the, you know at the ridiculousness I'm gonna test it. it I'm gonna test it Lara and this is from memory i have no books look no books um and so uh, spike milligan deeply embedded in my brain and it's only a very short poem i'm standing on my head the wiggle woggle said i can see the coast of china and it's very very red <laughs> just, you know it's just yeah it just is isn't it it's and it's just like just just the simplicity, you know. It's just the simplicity. I like the ones like my sister Laurie. Uh, she's bigger than me. She but she can lift me up quite easily. I can't lift her. I've tried and tried. She must have something heavy inside. I mean, <laughs> or Maverick Prowls had rumbling bowels that thundered in the night. It shook the bedroom all around and gave the folks a fright. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I had to do that. You have to get it out. That one was fantastic. Um, uh, yeah, I love uh, Spike was, um, uh, oh, God, he was a one-off, a one-off totally. So he did poetry. He wrote um, really good uh, prose as well, I mean, about his experiences in the war. And, you know, you could say, well, it's all just humour, but actually there's some really... He, he says some really deep things, you know, and um, he, he wrote songs. Um, he worked with jazz musicians, beautiful, beautiful songs he's, he, he wrote. Yeah, the, the, depth, the depth of feeling. I, I would also encourage anybody to pick up any of Spike Milligan's yeah. biographies because I, I never really realised the extent of his experiences in the war, but they definitely affect some things, definitely yeah. did affect him. And he was quite an emotional, you know, prone to, you know in incidences of manic depression oh, where serious. he would say yes. you know I, I feel like a dodo at parties because I'm just not you know and all this feeling and all this talent and humor yeah which is brilliant you know the things well, some of the things he got away with were just fantastic <laughs> and then he wrote his own epitaph didn't he he said I told yes, him I was ill Anyway, let, right. So, yeah. Oh gosh, we 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 got away from Wordsworth and went back to Spike Milligan. But uh, yeah, take us somewhere else, Lara. Come on. Uh, 
take us somewhere else. Okay, so we we've we've we are we've gone nature. So I think I'll go. I'll think I'll go Joyce Kilmer, who is an incredibly talented poet, and in fact, one of Joyce's poems is kind of read occasionally on Remembrance Day. And this is trees. I think that I shall never see a poem lovely as a tree. A tree whose hungry mouth is pressed against the earth's sweet flowing breast. A tree that looks at God all day and lifts her leafy arms to pray. A tree that may in summer wear a nest of robins in her hair. Upon whose bosom snow has lain, whose intimately lives with rain. Poems are made by fools like me, but only God can make a tree. Wow. So who's that poet again, Laura? I don't that think... Is jo- uh, this is Joyce Kilmer, an wow. American, American poet. And I just, there's just something about that poem where every time I read it, I get goose pimples on yeah. my skin because Absolutely. it's the nearest, it's the nearest poem I can think when people ask me why I love nature so mm. much or, or when I'm in nature, why it's such a special feeling. And I feel that poem really does articulate that appreciation and that love for nature you know it, it's just beautiful and so simple as well it when people say you know when they get put off by the complexity of poetry I give them examples like that and see look what you can do look what you can craft look what you can make you know and you feel it you know you feel like you're in the middle of the fo- forest when you you read that poem I think personally well, you and I hang out. I mean, yeah. Well, you and I can be found in the uh, wonderful trees that we have nearby here in Airvik from time to time, can't we? Um, can. And I, yeah, I, I, the concept of trees as a poem, you know, um, and they're all interlinked, that mycelial network. And I, I just, when you walk in the woods, you are being enveloped in in that that nature you're being enveloped in something a network that is so much greater than you so uh, but yeah okay look that's where poetry takes i've got a poem that actually fits in i think with with the trees all right it's a similar sort of thing about um finding something greater than ourselves in the little things in life okay so this is um this is walt whitman um and he uh as another one that was quite subversive, uh, very controversial. He he um, wrote. Um, he was he was a working man. I think he worked all his life with his hands, and um, was never considered um, to be part of the what a poet ought to be, really. <laughs> and he also was um, gay and wrote quite. He, he didn't really mince his words about uh, his feelings for, for um, well, maybe he was bisexual, maybe would be fairer. But, you know, and then they, those days, I mean, in America in the late 19th century, early 20th century, oof, and even now, probably he'd be controversial. But anyway, look, this is from, uh, this is called Miracles. Why? Who makes much of a miracle? As to me... I know of nothing else but miracles, whether I walk the streets of Manhattan or dart my sight over the roofs of houses toward the sky, 
or wade with naked feet along the beach just at the edge of the water, or stand under trees in the woods, or talk by day with anyone I love, or sleep in a bed at night with anyone I love, or sit at table at dinner with the rest, or look at strangers opposite me riding in the car, or watch honeybees busy around the hive of a summer forenoon, or animals feeding in the fields, or birds, or the wonderfulness of insects in the air, or the wonderfulness of the sundown, or of stars shining so quiet and bright, or the exquisite, delicate, thin curve of the new moon in the spring. Oh, these with the rest, one and all, are to me miracles, the whole referring, yet each distinct and in its place. To me, Every hour of the light and dark is a miracle. Every cubic inch of space is a miracle. Every square yard of the surface of the earth is spread with the same. Every foot of the interior swarms with the same. To me, the sea is a continual miracle. The fishes that swim, the rocks, the motion of the waves, the ships with men in them. What stranger miracles are there? Oh. Oh, wow. Another good wow, wow, wow. Thank you, Walt Whitman, there. And that see the trees again and nature and just all those little things, you know, you can, you can tell. I mean, you can't read that poem without that kind of excitement, you know. It's, it's just, oh, everything is just, oh. oh. Anyway. I've, I've never I've never heard that poem. I'm so glad you picked that. Thank you, Paul. Honestly, that's a Walt Whitman. Uh, incredible. Absolutely incredible. There are so many lines in that that I just wanted to pick. I wish I wrote them. <laughs> you know, but... He got there yeah, first. Sorry, Laura. Again, such 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 a ta such a talented person. But I think as a poet, again, probably not you. And you know, as a modern day figure, would probably be quite controversial yes. now for a yes, few yes. things that you you suggested and, and mentioned. But you no, that was incredible. I'm so yeah. glad you picked that. Well, he he wrote a lot. I mean, I waved the book at you before we came on air. But you know, that's a, a lot of poems and a little bit of prose but um yeah there's some good stuff in there um so yeah sorry i distracted you from well no i didn't no they <laughs> seem to fit with your with the the trees um so uh yeah so where where do we go from the trees um <laughs> yeah i mean that's the thing where do where you know where do we go for the trees i'm just kind of like can i link anything i've i've suggested to the can we keep this going uh, a lot of my stuff isn't actually nature based but obviously I, we've had so many incredible female poets mm -hmm. out there as well so i i just i just thought i'd like to give a little bit for the wonder that it was christina rossetti that mm. uh, she did a poem called remember and it goes like this Remember me when I am gone away, gone far away into the silent land, when you can no longer hold me by the hand, nor I half turn to go, yet turning to stay. Remember me when no more day by day. You tell me of our future that you planned, only remember me, you'd understand. It will be late to counsel then or pray, yet if you should forget me for a while, and afterwards remember, do not grieve. For if the darkness and corruption leave, a vestige of the thoughts that once I had, better by far you should forget and smile. 
than she you should remember and be sad. Oh, do you know what? I'm so glad you read that. I was so close when I was talking to Holly in the last show um, of uh, of sharing Rossetti. Um, her, her brother, actually, um, Dante Gabriel Rossetti, uh, both of them incredibly talented uh, uh, artists. And, and she just gets... She wrote... Um, now, it was her that wrote to, in the bleak midwinter, wasn't it? I think. Yes, it was. Yes, it, was. it was. And she just what a what a what a talent. I'm 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 on the verge of buying a collection of her and her brother's poems. Um, oh, wonderful. And now you now you push me over the edge. You <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I it it seems it almost seems a bit cheap even commenting on it. It just it's it speaks what it is to be human and remembered and why we're here and you know when we're not here what we are yeah yeah like we said before you know you're getting all of life into a few lines Lines. Brilliant. yeah yeah wow oh, we could do this all night couldn't we <laughs> <laughs> uh, and why yeah, we might just yeah yeah so uh, how did you come across um uh, uh, Christina Rossetti. Was that... Just through, I mean, I, I think through in the bleak midwinter, really, Paul. Oh, really? I was, I was, I was actually like, I, I, it was one of my favourite carols that I always really enjoyed, and I watched, uh, I think it was a documentary, and it was all about her life and her work and just so many incredible pieces and it's such a shame because she never actually got to experience any of the you know any of that and we you know we, we you know we sing that carol and it's something that we know very well but I was just blown away just by the skill and the level and I haven't read any of her brother's poetry so I, I can't comment on that but it's making me want to go and mm-hmm. read some of some of his work as well but yeah I just I just think she's an exceptional writer just just exceptional yeah yeah the um i think i think i did actually mention rossetti in the last one uh, as a, a song set to music by um uh, rafe vaughan williams uh, silent noon that's one of her brothers oh. poems. Uh, and actually um rafe vaughan williams set uh at least one um i think his sea symphony i think uh he set walt whitman to uh, to music as well oh, and i'm giving giving a lots of shout outs to rafe Vaughan williams because it's his 150th birthday this year and uh yeah so go away and listen to silent noon it's on that playlist which i do apologize listeners i did very boldly say you can add lots of stuff and then um lara said didn't you i can't add anything and i went and looked and spotify won't allow me to allow you i had so many poetry related songs <laughs> you send me the list lara we'll put them up on the playlist wonderful that's the way to do it but silent noon is on that playlist uh for for, for the uh, uh last show which um we'll keep it as this show as uh, we're doing poetry in motion still so um music and poetry for me inextricably linked we talked about i talked about it with peter and and liz um it's something about the 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 rhythm the 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 letting it flow over you um yeah poetry is music with word the but using words and the two coming together can make thing make something that's already fantastic even better better yeah yeah like in the bleak midwinter 
Exactly. Yeah. So, gosh, um, this that you you write about um, uh, female poets, uh, Lara. I mean, they've they've had a, um, a a pretty bad press, but there've been a lot of really significant um, uh, women writers, uh, poets. Uh, just as much as men, but of course they don't get published as much, do they? I mean, uh, Emily no. Emily Dickinson is is quoted by pretty much any. If you look at the top hundred poems in the world, there's always going to be an Emily Dickinson in there. Um, but and I think increasingly we're coming across more and more uh, women who wrote poetry uh, that we didn't know about. And uh, um, well, I'm I'm I'm, gl I'm glad that you mentioned uh, Dickinson was one of the. Mm poets on my list and uh, again every poem by Dickinson I'm always blown away absolutely blown away mm. but there uh, again like uh, that's what I love about some of the female poets I always there's always poems that I haven't heard but this one is I've, I've never heard this one before a couple of days ago but it's called I felt a funeral in my brain I felt a funeral in my brain and mourners to and fro kept treading, treading till it seemed that sense was breaking through. And when they were all seated, a service like a drum kept beating, beating till I thought my mind was going numb. And then I heard them lift the box and creak across my soul with those same boots of lead again and space began to toll. As all the heavens were a bell and being but an ear, and I in silence some strange race wrecked solitary here. And then a plank in reason broke and I dropped down and down and hit a world at every plunge and finished knowing then and it just stops wow isn't that wonderful she 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 was amazing no no one writes like her no no one no no but that's the thing nobody nobody writes like emily writes wow uh, and that poem shows it i think that really expresses the level of her talent mm. um, and her skill so look, I'm going to ask you a really difficult question now, Lara. You up for this? I'm up for this, Paul. If you got marooned uh, on your desert island and um, you could only have one poem or one poet, well, let's make it a poet. You could have a collection. Could you do that? Could you narrow it down to one? Uh, that's so difficult, isn't no, it? I told you it was difficult. That's really difficult. I'm going to go with um, I, I'm going to go with Edgar Allan Poe. Oh, and I'd probably go with the first poem I really, really fell it fell in love with. It, it, it you know it wouldn't be a cheerful choice, but it would be Annabelle Lee. I think mm. Annabelle Lee was the first poem where I realised that you can make a true epic. You can you can have a, a real story. To, to to this and it's it's one of my absolute favorites but very difficult to choose because i would keep changing my mind i think i would be i would be the awkward one on the island that would keep asking to send more poets please, please, to please me. send something else in a bottle <laughs> <laughs> 
the I, 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 no, I, it's an unfair question. I mean, for me today, that Walt Whitman poem, having come across it in the last few it, days. Well, that's that's the much... thing. Like that Walt Whitman poem, I was not familiar with that poem, no. and it would definitely be that one. Uh, you know, and I think it would change every single day. It would be yeah. so difficult yeah. to, to choose depending on the day and and mood and feeling. Um, like already, already in the show today, we've covered so many different poets. Um, I mean, it, I'm it, loving it, you know, from Spike Milligan to to, to Christina Rossetti, um, Walt Whitman, um, you know, Ogden Nash. The, the the diversity there is just phenomenal, isn't it? I'm I'm yes, going to allow so I'm going to allow you one more poet. How about that? Am I being one, unfair? One more poet, Elizabeth Barrett Browning. Without, without a doubt, hands, really? hands that, down, one of my favourites. I'm a little bit surprised by that choice because um, I, I suppose because a lot of us rem remember um, the Barretts of Wimpole Street, which was a ter terrible film. Um, <laughs> but, uh, um, no, no, it was a classic of its type and her relationship with... Um, with uh, Robert Browning and the fact that she spent all those years sort of lying in that Victorian chaise long, you know, <laughs> <laughs> not being able to leave, leave the room, um, almost like a, a, an invalid. And I have to say, I probably have heard her poetry, but I haven't gone out and sought it out because she and Robert Browning seem to me like the high pinnacle of Victorianness, uh, yes, yeah, it's it's it's, yeah. it's very of its like you know you have to when you're reading these poems you have to kind of think there is a context there to her you know to her life. Yeah. I mean, if if pushed, I would rather read poetry by the Brontes. So <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know, I you sneaky. I don't think boring, Elizabeth yeah. Barrett Browning probably would have got along from a, a writer's perspective. Um, but yeah, no, I, I would say as well for people who haven't indulged in Bronte poetry, please go ahead and and because especially Emily, Emily is especially uh, Emily's poetry um, was it was probably the, the 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 great writer of the family. Oh, that's really controversial. Um, so have, you, have you got um have you got a poem um from uh, Elizabeth Barrett Browning that you you could share? have been I haven't I have indeed Paul so how it's called how do I love thee this is sonnet 43 how do I love thee let me count the ways I love thee to the depth and breadth and heights my soul can reach when feeling out of sight for the ends of being an ideal grace I love thee to the level of every day's most quiet need by sun and candlelight I love thee freely as men strive for right I love thee purely as they turn from praise. I love thee with the passion put to use in my old griefs and with my childhood's faith. I love thee with the love I seem to lose with my lost saints. I love thee with the breath, smile, tears of all my life. And if God choose, I shall but love thee better after death. Mm. See, I know that poem and I didn't know it was by her. Yes. Yeah, and that, that's that's funny. the funny thing because a lot of people do know that poem but don't don't equate it the same which is very interesting mm -hmm. it's very interesting how we can know these things and remember these things but maybe not a set um accredit them correctly to who mm -hmm. wrote them mm -hmm. oh gosh 
Yeah, we genuinely could talk about Yeah, I can't go into a third show about poetry. <laughs> <laughs> and you, and, and you, you, um, you, st you still do a poetry show. Oh, you do a poetry podcast, don't you? I do do a poetry podcast once a week. Yes, I do. And I, inter I interview poets. We talk about different poems. And I just use it to spread the the love of poetry really Paul because it, it like like we've been talking all the way throughout the show is that there is so much poetry to explore you know I will never you know that's the wonderful thing I will never run out of poems you know I'll mm. never run out of writers come on use this platform to share with people where they can find your um, your poetry uh, you can find me on Spotify and you can find us on Insta with the poetry corner on Instagram as well we are on uh, the poetry corner on Twitter as well and we're working on a Facebook page I will provide all the links uh, as well uh, and, and forward the them on to everybody yeah, for the show uh, but yeah, there's there's just so many poets, Paul. Like we could easily do nine poetry shows, I think, quite easily. Um, uh, yeah, I, I it, it, yes. When I was talking to Holly about it, you know, and she she um, she's only really recently started diving into poetry, and we just. Uh, uh, yeah. well, we mentioned T. S. Eliot, didn't yes. we? You know, oh, like, we talked a lot. Yeah, yeah, and that's fantastic. Absolutely, again, incredible poet, brilliant yeah. words. And I think I probably mentioned Thomas Hardy in the last show, but uh, um, he he uh, he he's up there for me. Um, and again, it's very much on and off, depending which day I'm uh, feeling. Um, and in the last book group, we we got uh, uh, really got to grips with the man and came away not really liking him and thinking that perhaps he didn't treat his wife very well. And it's all very well all those poems about self pity, but actually. You know, there's some other great poems. I'd probably take the Darkling Thrush to my desert island. I probably would. That's a very good, yeah, that's a very good choice there, Paul. I can, I can see why. It's yeah, just too difficult for me. Yeah, you've got to, you've got to ha if you're on a desert island and you're on your own, you've got to have something to hope for, haven't you? And I think that, yes, that exactly. poem does it for me. Um, but I've read it on the radio and I've probably already read it on this podcast. Well, I, people can go and seek it out. Um, but I think that's what we ought to end on, you know, is just saying to be, just go, just go out there and don't be afraid. Find an anthology, a really good anthology. There's loads of fabulous anthologies and dive in, see what you like and uh, let it wash over you. That's... Well, if it's well, if it's okay with you, Paul, I know we're going to come to the end of the show, but there is a poem by Maya Angelou, which yeah. I I think personally, still I rise would be perfect to end on. So you may write me down in history with your bitter and twisted lies. You may tread me into the dirt, but still like dust I'll rise. Does my sassiness upset you? Why are you beset with gloom? Because I walk like I've got oil wells pumping in my living room, just like moons and like suns with a certainty of tides, just like hopes bringing high, still I'll rise. Did you want to see me broken? Bowed head and lowered eyes, shoulders falling down like teardrops, weakened by my soulless, false cries. Does my haughtiness offend you? Don't you take it awful hard? Because I laugh like I've got gold mines digging in my own backyard. You may shoot me with your words, you may cut me with your eyes, you may kill me with your hatefulness, but still, like air, I'll rise. Does my sexiness upset you? Does it come as a surprise? 
that I dance like I've got diamonds at the meeting of my thighs. Out of the huts of history's shame, I rise up from a past that's rooted in pain. I rise. I'm a black ocean, leaping and wide, welling and swelling, I bear in the tide. Leaving behind nights of terror and fear, I rise into a daybreak that's wonderfully clear. I rise, bringing the gifts that my ancestors gave. I am the dream and the hope of a slave. I rise, I rise, I rise. Oh, brilliant, Lara. You know, that's just, um, you, you, right, so we've now got the diversity, my Angelou being one, what a fantastic voice. The line that jumped out of me, and there's so many lines in that, was, I can cut you with my eyes. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> it's just brilliant. She, I bet she could as well. <laughs> <laughs> you wouldn't mess around with her. I, I, what a what a brilliant way to end. Oh, that's just uh, it's just so good. Mm. Um, <laughs> it's very hard to end. You know, once I did a radio show, um, and I think I might have told you this before. Um, back in the days when I did live radio, and it was very early days for me, and um, uh, I think I had some students in who'd sort of submitted poems for um a, a prize and um you know you go on and you think yeah that's great yeah would you like to read your work and this 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 girl read her work she read this poem and everybody was you could see them welling up yeah. and they all went silent yeah. and i i could barely push the buttons all i could do was play a record um, because there, there were just no words. There were no words. And it can just take you by surprise, can't it? So. It really can. It really can. Well, Lara, um, thank you so much. Um, you, um, you are the cherry on top of our two poetry in motion shows. I've <laughs> 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 uh, better stop mincing my, my metaphors. But uh, we're... Um, I, I hoped we would come back with our Anglo-Saxons versus Vikings show, but it proved to be a little bit unwieldy, as possibly the Anglo-Saxons and the Vikings really were. <laughs> so I am hoping um, that uh, we've got the Wrexham Carnival of Words coming up. Um, you, if you live in the vicinity of Wrexham, and that includes anybody living in the UK, I suggest, um, because you can travel now, you know, um, pandemic's allowing that a little bit um, but do come to Wrexham um, from the 21st of April through to the 30th of April there's lots of really good stuff on um, you can go and see what is on and do come to Wrexham which is now shortlisted oh yes shortlisted for the City of Culture 2025 yay yay uh, yes one of four it could possibly happen you know, it's like Hollywood stars buying a, your local football club. Oh, no, they've already done that. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, anything could happen. So come on to come to Wrexham and you can say to people when we win City of Culture, I've been there. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> the Wrexham Carnival of Words is WrexhamCarnivalWords.com. Um, and we've got people like Mark Billingham 
uh, crime writer. I'm interviewing him. Really looking forward to that. We've got Barbara Erskine and um, Pat Bracewell, both um, authors who have written um, books set in Anglo-Saxon times at about 300 years apart. Um, and uh, so we might have a bit of an Anglo-Saxon face-off. I'm hoping to interview Pat as she's come all the way from California. And uh, there's also another show uh, which I'm hoping to get in the bag in the next couple of months. Um, our former MP of Wrexham, Ian Lucas, has written a book called Digital Gangsters. And he, uh, when he was an MP, was on uh, one of the parliamentary committees about digital communication and uh, very knowledgeable about things like the dark web and influence in elections and things, especially from certain countries a little bit east of here, um, and uh, very pertinent now. So his book out is out very soon, and uh, he said he'd love to do an interview. So we're going to go and... Well, you know, Anglo-Saxons to digital gangsters uh, from poetry. What well, this this show does it all, doesn't it? <laughs> so, uh, oh god, it's been delightful to have you back, Lara. Don't go away now, will you? No, no I won't. No. Um, so, thank you so much for your contribution. Thank you to everybody who's contributed to uh, poetry in motion one and two. Holly um, and Gwyn earlier. Uh, and especially uh, Liz Lafroy and Peter Reed for, for doing interviews with me. And I hope you've loved our exploration of poems and all things poetic. And it inspires you to go out there and find poetry for yourself or more about poetry if you already love it. And um, yeah, so that's us until next time. Uh, thank you all for listening. And uh, we'll be back in about a month. You've been listening to Bookalicious, available wherever you get podcasts. Don't forget to subscribe so you never miss an episode and tell your friends. We love to know you're listening, so please like us or leave a comment. Have a look at our website, bookalicious.com, and you can contact us on info at bookalicious.com. Thank you for listening. Until next time, I wish you all happy reading. Thank you.